Hey, creative, if you love the show and it has meant a lot to you, could you do me a favor? Would you share it with somebody that you care about? Your friend, your mom, your lover, whoever it is, because podcasts really are spread person to person. And I don't know about you, but the ultimate influencers in my life are my friends and family. So if all of you could share the podcast with just one person, it would make a massive difference in our creative community, grow it, and we can all help support and lift each other up and get toward our dreams even faster. So please, if you have time today and you feel so compelled, share the show with a friend. Oh, also, if you have time, feel free to like pop on over to Apple and leave it a rating and review and a rating on Spotify. Okay. Love you. Hey, Creative Cutie. Usually I write out a little thing here at the top, but today I just want to talk to you because what we're talking about today is motherhood. And while I'm not a mother yet, it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately. And what a kind of impossible job it seems like. You know, even if you think about the way so many people think about and talk about their moms, it seems like there's often so much more criticism for their moms. And I recently had this revelation. Outside of a situation where there was legitimate abuse or neglect, if you have more gripes with your mom than you do with your dad, is it simply because your mom was there more and also more present in your parenting? So you have more material to draw from. There's more to be upset over because your mom was the one taking on the bulk of the parenting. I really think that this is true for so many of us. And I think it's part of why so many of us, especially those of us that are creative, don't end up becoming mothers until later in life or maybe don't end up doing it all because it's one thing if you've always known you don't want to be a mom, but it's another thing if you see the insane pressures that we're putting on modern mothers and saying, I don't know if I can handle that. I think up until this point, There haven't been a lot of great solutions for that. Like I've been starting to see a light through this show that perhaps motherhood could be expansive because every single mother we've had on the show has had her greatest success post-child and that perhaps motherhood could be a mirror for us that going into this role of being a mom, you want to be a good example for your kids. It's one thing to tell your kids you can do anything you want. It's another thing to tell them that and show them that by pursuing your own dreams. And so my opinions of motherhood are starting to change, but I still think we're in a really hard part in our vision of motherhood, especially here in America. I mean, I can't speak for other countries, but like motherhood, yes, while you can now be a mother and work and have a thriving social life, the expectations that were put on moms back, let's say in the 50s when many or most moms were staying at home and taking care of the house and not working an extra job outside of that are still on women today. Like they've just been brought into the new era. So it's like you can quote unquote have it all, but can you? Not the way things are set up. So we have to start making changes both in our houses and in ourselves. And today's guest has tools to help you do that. She firmly believes and will show you how motherhood is not a restriction, but rather an expansion, how it can be an expansion. And I think this episode is super important, not just for mothers and people who want to be mothers someday, but for anybody who's even looking to remother themselves and find new compassion for their mother or mother figure in their life. So listen to this episode 
and get some tools from this amazing guest on how to mother yourself, and if you're already a mom, how to love your kids without losing yourself. Welcome to Unleash Your Inner Creative with Lauren LaGrasso. I'm Lauren LaGrasso. I'm an award-winning podcast host and producer, singer-songwriter, and multi-passionate creative. This show sits at the intersection of creativity, mental health, self-development, and spirituality, and it is meant to give you tools to love, trust, and know yourself enough to claim your right to creativity and pursue whatever it is that's on your heart. Today's guest is Dr. Morgan Cutlip. She holds a PhD in psychology, is a highly sought after relationship expert, content creator, and a writer whose most recent book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself, helps women to mother themselves the way they mother their kids and reclaim their own voice. I wanted to bring Morgan on the show because to reiterate, I think we've set up a system that isn't putting moms in a position to succeed. They are expected to be everything to everyone. And of course, there's burnout and a feeling of failure in all areas. The thing is, Morgan provides a path to see that motherhood doesn't have to be a restriction to your life and creativity, but rather that it can be an expansion. With healthy boundaries, self-love, and true self-care, mothering can be a healing journey for you, your kids, and even your partner, and challenge you to become your most creative and healthy self. From today's chat, you'll learn why it's so important to mother yourself as you would mother your child or future child and how to do that, what's required of a mother's romantic partner and or co-parent in order to make mothering feel less impossible, some of the core conflicts of motherhood and how to overcome them, and much more. Okay, now here she is, Morgan Cutlip. Dr. Morgan Cutlip, thank you so much for being here. I am... So excited to have you on this podcast because my views of motherhood have really changed from doing over 250 episodes of this show because here's my little informal study and I want you to weigh in on it. Every single mother I have had on this show has had their greatest creative success post-child. So it really changed the idea. I used to think I have to get all my dreams done. I have to get every creative ounce of me out before I have a kid. Because once I have a kid, I'm just going to have to go completely into that. And I can never start any project again. I thought that way. And what this show and talking to so many incredible people of all genders, but like women and mothers, has shown me is that actually it can be an impetus to achieve your greatest dream. So I am so excited to have you here and talk about the intersection of creativity, motherhood, self-love, all the good stuff. Gosh, thank you for having me. You just put out something that I have not really reflected on before. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be fun to think about in real time. But gosh, there is something about motherhood that just cracks you open, I think. And I know for me specifically... I knew I always wanted to do something to really support women and to show up for women. And I've my whole career has been in the relationship world. And so I, I think back when I was in college, I thought, oh, I'll help women, I don't know, choose partners, step into their power in dating relationships, that type of stuff. But gosh, when I became a mom, that is when everything sort of cracked open for me. And I was like, nope, this is what it's about for me. It's about helping moms navigate this motherhood journey differently and more empowered because it's tough. It is tough, but moms are tough. Yes. And I'm not surprised that that is your informal study, which is all of these women really stepping into their power and owning it and creating their life's work after they become moms. Yeah. And the wild thing is, 
again, I am no statistician or scientist, but <laughs> like it doesn't matter what age they had the child. There was one person I had on that had the child like when they were in college and like they were 20. I mean, I've spoken to many moms who got pregnant in their late 30s. What I found is it doesn't matter when they had the child. It was always an inciting incident for their creativity, which I find is really beautiful and interesting and kind of antithetical to a lot of the conditioning that society feeds us. Yeah, because we're led to believe that life sort of stops when you become a mom. It's almost like motherhood takes more than it gives. I talk about that in my book and I've talked about it on social that I feel like that's a narrative that we absolutely need to rewrite. And I don't know the answer. I mean, I know you're not asking me to answer anything when you say this, but like it's really gotten me thinking and it's like, why is that? And I almost feel like part of it, it's not the whole, but maybe a piece of it is obviously our kids like motivate us in these new ways. And depending on our situations, whether we're single or we're in a relationship or whatever, we, you know, having to provide and care for people is really motivating. But I think motherhood shines a light on things. Not that you couldn't get there without becoming a mom, but it is like this fast track to self-reflection and growth because it just, it highlights all of these things that are like you've just sort of tucked away and haven't developed that all of a sudden you're required to face. Our firstborn is a daughter. We have two. I have two kids. So Effie is 10 and Roy is 7. Gosh, it's like even some things like when I think about when she was born, like body image stuff. I was like, okay, now is the time I'm going to have to tackle any sort of stuff I've got going on with my body, my impression of my body, how I talk to my body, how I look at my body, how I dress, all of these things. I have to deal with this because I have to be able to pour into her and teach her how to love her body. And so I had to get over my hangups. And I think that this is like one small area of like what motherhood teaches you that really applies to lots of things, whether it's an insecurity, it's an imposter syndrome, it's owning your creativity. I think that there is this way that motherhood has this just power over us that shines light on things that we really, really need to address. Yeah, it's so beautiful and so true. Something that I think a lot of parents think and maybe like our parents thought at least I think it minded was like, as long as I say everything right to my kids and love my kids, they will be all right. But especially when you have sensitive kids, they pick up on everything. And my parents never said anything to me about my body. They were always very kind about my body. But my mom was always saying mean things to herself, like out loud about her body. And so while she wasn't the only impetus, I think I absorbed that and then I think the other thing, you know, to talking about your dreams, it's like it's one thing for a parent to say to your child, you can do anything you want to do and I believe in you. It's another thing for you to see them saying that to themselves. The impact that that has on what a child believes that they can do out in the world is maybe even more important than what you actually say to them. Yeah, so you're like, you're pulling out the modeling piece, which is so powerful. It's like not just what we do or not just what we say, but what we do. And I think that that is so true. And I think that, you know, it's just something about our generation of parents, this millennial generation. I think you're younger than maybe. That. No, I'm a millennial. <laughs> like, I don't know how old you are, but I know I'm older. But our millennial generation of parents is really expanding the way that we approach parenting we are really being intentional about things and I think we are honing in on how we say stuff absolutely but we're also honing in on like 
how we say stuff for the receiver of that stuff. If they're a sensitive kid, if they're a spicy kid, we're thinking about all of that stuff. But then also how we demonstrate these things in our lived out experiences. I don't know if I really actually say it explicitly in my book, but it's a thread throughout my book because the main sort of lesson I try to give to moms is we have to mother ourselves like we mother our kids. And when we do that, we are able to show up for them better because we are more taken care of and all of those things. But also we are showing them how they have to take care of themselves too. So there is this secondary effect, which is watching us do some of these things and see the power of how it impacts our lives, which I think is really important. So I'm glad you called that one out. Yeah. I mean, I just think so much of this stuff that you talk about, whether or not you have a child, I mean, I want to have one like in the next three years probably. But something I really started thinking about is like, I want my future child to be proud of me. Like I want them to like see me. And yes, I want to be able to just do it for myself too. But like that has been such a great motivator. So like to my listeners, even those of you that aren't parents yet, or maybe even those of you that like don't want to be parents, like, like mothering your younger self, mothering your future child, like thinking of like talking to you the way you'd want to talk to your younger self or to your future child, I think is deeply, deeply important. And that's why your work, whether or not you're a parent is like so influential and so important to keep at the forefront of our minds. Yeah, I think the concepts, I mean, definitely if you were to read my book, you're going to be like, this is for moms because the stories are all about moms, but the concepts are universal concepts. Like the idea that Women, for the most part, have been sent these messages to suppress our needs, to self-sacrifice for the preservation of our relationship. This is not a strictly motherhood thing. I think it just happens to sort of get accelerated when you become a mom or, or over-accentuated. But that's an experience of women in our culture that we sort of are forced to, if we're going to do it differently, we're sort of forced to swim upstream and fight some of these narratives and these messages. and. In order to get to a place where we can define what we need, assert graciously in our relationships what we need, and to function more fully in our relationships, like these are universal concepts that we have to kind of come to terms with. It is important not just if you have children, but just in general in your relationships with others and yourself. So I want to dive into the book and all of your amazing concepts. You say you first had the idea for this book seven years ago, which I know sometimes the creative birthing process can be long and arduous. (laughs) So can you walk me through how you actually took this idea, like from idea or like dream to birthing it out into the world? My process started with just this dream to eventually write a book. That was kind of my end game. I was like, that's just what I want to do, period. And then I'm done. (laughs) You did it. I'm like, and I retire. No, I I didn't imagine all that would go into it. But it started as as just a dream, as an end goal at some point in my life after our daughter was born and just feeling the gosh, that massive weight and transition into motherhood that just rocked my world. So it was clear to me at that point, okay, this is what I want my book to be about. And so I started outlining it many, many years ago. And then every now and then I'd slip away and I'd go to the library and I'd just like work on an outline. But like come up with my chapter titles. I had a tentative working title for the book. I started trying to write chapter outlines and things like that. But it was very slow going because I had two little kids. By this point, I had two kids. Very little. My husband travels 
nearly every single week for work. So weekends become kind of sacred. It's like family time. So it's hard to take that time. And so it just sort of got to a place where I stopped going, stopped going to the library, stopped working on it. And I had a half written sort of mediocre proposal sitting somewhere on my computer. And several years ago, I can't even do the math now of how long this process took. I guess it's probably two years from signing with an agent to publishing. One week just went to my husband and he, he's had a big career. He's accomplished all the things he's wanted to do. And um, I was like, I just think if I don't pursue the book now, it's never going to happen. And he's like, well, what do you need to do? And I was like, I need to get an agent and then I need to write it. And then I'm going to need you to help me find time to write it. Because the way I work, I require chunks of time. I can't chip away at stuff very well. And so we had a discussion and that week I got an agent and she liked my terrible proposal enough to sign me. <laughs> I think probably just like having conversation with her helped. And for the next couple months, we refined a proposal and hammered out the idea. And my process is very much like we homeschool. And I have this room, this toy room, and the whole one wall is a dry erase board. And so I'd like beautiful mind everything. Like I would just <laughs> brain dump on this dry erase board and then like every idea. And then I would start integrating and chunking and organizing. And so it was a lot of time doing that, refining the proposal with her and sending it out then finally to publishers and interviewing and picking a publisher. And I think that the main takeaway of my process, I think is a really important one, is that sometimes you have to act before you feel ready. And that is how I found myself in this position with a book is that I just recognized I kept waiting for these massive like canyons of time to open up for me and they never were coming. My life was filling up with other things and if I didn't make space for the dream that I had, it would never happen and no one was going to make it for me. And so I just behaved in a way that made this happen before I actually felt like I was really ready to do it. So much to break down from that. Beautiful. I love the story. It's so <laughs> powerful. Okay, this dream has been bubbling up in you basically your whole life, right? And you had the idea several years back. What led you to finally be able to say it out loud directly to your husband that day? Like, what was that light switch that happened in you? So you're going to make me go deep here. Okay, <laughs> so there, there's a story here. Yeah. You want it, I'll tell yeah, it. Yeah, I do. I love it. So I don't know if you know this, but I've worked alongside, we don't work in the same way now, but I worked alongside my dad for over 15 years. He has his doctorate in psychology and he was creating, he was like writing courses before everybody else had courses. So we're talking 30 years ago, he had a course for singles. He published a book for singles, a course for couples, families. I kind of grew up alongside him as I guess like a mentee in the profession. He went back to school when I was in grade school. I remember going to classes with him. I taught a class on Freud when I was like seven. Like I just, I was just in it with him. It's how we connected. It's how I felt really close to him. And I loved the work he did. So when he started doing conferences, I went to. When I started getting my own credentials and degree, I started speaking with him. And so I kind of grew up. I don't want to say in his shadow because he didn't put me there, but in my own self-concept, in my own sort of self-worth, I always felt a little bit like in his shadow. And also some of the work I did for him is like he was the front man and I was like teaching myself how to design workbooks and stuff. There was this moment where we did a podcast interview together. If anyone wants proof, here's the receipts. It's called Codependency No More 
we did a podcast interview together and I think I said five words. I think I said five words on the whole interview. He did it. He spoke. (laughs) He answered every question. By the time he was done talking, there was nothing for me to say. It was that moment I was like, okay, if I don't find my own voice here and my own confidence in my voice, then I'm done. Like I might as well just continue doing graphic design, even though I'm not a graphic designer for my dad behind the scenes. And so not long after that, I started an Instagram and the main purpose, the one, I mean, obviously the purpose was to help people and to share relationship information. But one of the main reasons was that I had this belief that when I spoke, I didn't make sense, that I wasn't a clear communicator and that I actually had nothing of my own to say. And so I used social media as my own therapeutic intervention to practice, to practice speaking, to practice articulating ideas, to practice putting things out in the world. Could I create my own ideas and content? And I don't know if any ideas new, but my own packaging of things. And so I did that for years. And I think like this is a very long answer to your very clear question, (laughs) but the reality is it took all of that All of that for me to get to a place where I had even the confidence and the belief in myself to say to my husband, I want to write a book and I'm going to do it now. Can you make time for me? Can we make time for this in our lives? Because many years earlier, even probably when I was working on that outline, I don't think I believed in myself enough to do it. Mm, Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. That's so, so beautiful and so big. And I understand why it took a long time to tell the story because <laughs> it took a lot of years for the story to happen. And then for you to say, you know what, I unsubscribe from that story. I have my own voice. We talked about your literal speaking voice before we got on and how much I love it and how it's the perfect combination of warm, empowering, and like fearless leader. But I wonder like if we could talk about the metaphorical voice you have for a second. Since you've been discovering your own voice, what is it that you found that you love about it? Gosh, this feels like a therapy session. This is nice. I really like, I don't know if I'm answering this right, but I really, I have this experience in me that it's like, if I feel like I can help someone, it like burns me to not help them. And so there's something about like that that really is like doing it for me, which is that I get to use my voice now to help other people, to serve, to educate. I really love to teach and to explain and to educate. And so I am proud that I went through what I went through to get to a place where I'm able to step into what feels truly like me and feels like I'm in my right place. I'm where I'm supposed to be. And I think that I could have easily missed that experience in life had I been too afraid to put myself out there. So I don't know if that's what you're asking, but yeah, I think it is. (laughs) I think it is that you're using your voice to help other people also find their own and to find community and to find, hey, I'm okay. Yeah. I think one thing I like about, it's weird to say this kind of, but I don't really have a hard time as we're learning through this interview of sharing my own experiences. And I feel like that's been fun for me because when I think that something I really like about me is that when I talk about stuff and teach about stuff, I'm almost always talking about something I've experienced or lived through and I'm not afraid to share that piece of it. And I think there's something 
just that feels safe maybe to people when they experience that part of me because it's like, oh, she has a degree, but also, yeah, she's lived this too. I talk about the mental load a lot. I mean, that conversation happens in my house all the time or like being lost in motherhood. I was lost in motherhood. Like all of the things I talk about, almost all of the things I talk about, I've lived through and I like being able to communicate that. I love that. Yeah. Something I have learned and like heartily stand by in the last year is that we teach what we most need to learn. I mean, it's incredible that you have both. You have this wonderful degree and this incredible experience, this life experience. And together it's like unstoppable. But I would much rather hear from someone who's actually been through it than from someone who's just studied it or from someone who it comes intuitively to because they don't know how to tell me to do it because they didn't have to learn. So I really appreciate that. And I want to get into it because you say, and maybe what the inciting incident for this book was, you say when you had your first child 10 years ago, this was a quote, you were buried by motherhood and that you thought you'd be really good at it naturally, but you weren't feeling like you were good at it. So can you take me through this moment of becoming a new mom and how you started to move through it? Well, I always wanted to be a mom. So I think there was this part of me that assumed I would be really good at it because I wanted to be one. Also, I think I for some stupid reason, there's no class that I've ever taken on how to be a parent or a mom, but I thought my degrees would make me naturally really good at this. Like, oh, I'm educated in this. Like, why not? I have good parents. And so I went in with really, really high expectations. And it was almost immediate that I felt this. It's funny, I pulled my Instagram audience once about this. But I think the resounding feeling right after you have a baby is this feeling of homesickness. It's Mm. weird. You know that like in the pit of your stomach. And it is kind of interesting to liken it to homesickness because in some ways it's like you're in this unfamiliar place that doesn't feel like home anymore, even in yourself. But I was hit with it right away. I think obviously hormones play a part, but just this loss of freedom is something I didn't anticipate that was really striking, especially when you have a partner, period. You have a partner whose life just like continues. I mean, even if you have a great partner who's involved, like they're kind of like not for the most part usually as like tethered to the baby. So they are able to move about the world differently than you are for a little while. It's not forever. That struck me really hard, just the change in my body and not recognizing myself, the change in my emotions, the anxiety. I'm not an anxious person, but I had a lot of anxiety. It's amazing how you can imagine all the like horrific things that can happen to your child after you become a mom and all the things you have to protect them from. And I talk about this in the book too, but a little bit after our daughter was born, my husband got relocated to California. And so I spent like the first six to eight months of her life, from two months to 10 months, so actually longer, living in Florida. We'd only been there two months before she was born, so we didn't even live there a year. So in Florida, he was in California. So I did so much of it on my own, which breeded resentment. So I felt like when I say buried, it was just like I was lost, I was overwhelmed, and I was alone. And motherhood early on can feel really lonely anyway. And I lived in Florida. And the place I live in Florida was like all old people. You had no community. There was no village or community. I have my parents close by. That was the one saving grace. But how did I move through it? It took me a very long time. It took me a very long time to move through it. And I think in many ways, I didn't get there until after our son was born. There's this moment when the kids were toddlers and 
I had just been going nonstop carrying the weight of everything and doing the majority of the child rearing. And I remember I just lost it one day and I told my husband, just get the kids out. Like I need a minute. And he took them to the community pool and I was like, I'll meet you in a little bit. I get there and I show up and the kids are freaking out and he didn't pack change of clothes. He didn't pack snacks. He didn't pack water bottles. I don't even know if he had towels, which is kind of insane. And I've shared this story before and a lot of times women will be like, that's common sense. I get it. Like, hasn't he ever been to a pool before? And it's, it's true. But that's all true. Like that's for another conversation. But what that did for me is it shed light on how much I had been doing for him, which then didn't require him to do hardly any of this type of work. And so I became the carrier of all of the information, of all of the responsibilities. I was packing the diaper bag. I was doing all this stuff and I had a willing partner. I think it was at that moment where I took a hard look at myself and I said, okay, Morgan, it's time to recalibrate. My needs have been way on the back burner for a very long time. And I'm starting to not like who I am anymore because I'm angry and I'm small and I'm getting resentful. And so I did some serious soul searching and and reevaluating. I walk moms through how to do that in the book. And then I said to my husband, I'm going to try something different. (laughs) I'm going to start really speaking up about what I need. So I just want you to know I love you, but also I'm going to sound different than I normally have. And so I need you to be ready for that and not interpret it the wrong way. And it's been different ever since. So, okay, you have that conversation with him, but then what happens? Like, how do you go from feeling like you've lost yourself to mothering yourself the way you mother your children? What does that journey look like? Yeah, so... To get specific about what it means to mother yourself like you mother your kids, what I mean by that is that we have a relationship with ourselves, much like we have a relationship with our kids, and we manage our relationship with the kids. It's like we teach them how to get in touch with their emotions. We teach them how to stick up for their needs. We teach them how to see themselves in a positive light. We have to do the same for us. And so I had to tune back in to my relationship with myself, which I had totally disregarded. I did not treat myself like I was in relationship with me. I'm not a prescriptive type of person, so it's hard to say like step one, step two, step three, like this is exactly what you do. But part of it was I had to uncover some of the messages that I had absorbed about what it meant to have needs. And I have great parents, so you can learn this stuff from great parents. I had learned that I was kind of like preferred when I was not as opinionated or when I was not as big. When I took up less space, it was just easier. People found me more palatable. And so that was something less dramatic. I feel like that was a message, like you're kind of dramatic. So I had to challenge some of this messaging. Is this actually true? Is this a real, like accurate descriptor of me? Or is this a misrepresentation of me? And how do I want to reclaim these parts? And so I had to change my relationship with my needs, how I thought about myself. And then I had to implement behavioral changes before maybe I felt totally ready. So I had to test things out. I had to start speaking up for my needs and seeing how they were responded to by my husband. And when I started to do this and things went well, it starts to shape and reshape and change the 
way that I was relating to needs before. So I was changing my beliefs. I was changing my behavior. The responses to my behavior would help to reinforce these new beliefs. And so it's a process. It's not take a walk and drink more water process. <laughs> but it's oh, deeply that doesn't meaning- do it. <laughs> a glass of water doesn't actually change your life and fix everything. <laughs> I always feel like I'm letting people down when I'm like, it's a little bit more involved than, you know, getting your nails done. But it does have a lasting and meaningful impact. And when I stepped into this new way of existing in my relationships, it shifted all of my relationships. And for the better, my husband's like, okay, you know, it took a minute, right? And we talked about it and all of those things. But I was like, I like this. Like, I like this part of you. You're so much more confident now. You're so much more assured of who you are. And so it's a process. I do create a really easy to follow framework in my book for how to do it and what to actually work through. These are actually deep, meaningful shifts that will make a big impact in their lives. I mean, you give some tangible examples even on your Instagram page of just like, or maybe it was in one of the podcasts I listened to, but I remember, I think it was you talked about how like you lifted one day before you went out to like the beach or like a theme park or something because you knew you needed to like do something for yourself. So you did weightlifting first and then you went to the day with your family. So to me, that would be like a tangible example, right? Yeah, my book is actually filled and my Instagram's filled with practical stuff. So I feel like we're getting more like this deeper stuff. But yeah, yeah, I mean, when I shared that example, what I was sharing is that I was heading into a day. Well, it's this. Back it up. I encourage moms to do a self-check-in with themselves, just like we do with our kids. We don't realize we do, do it for our kids because it's so second nature to us. But that day I had scheduled a play date for my kids. We were going to the beach to spend the entire day with their friends. The reason why I had done this is because the day before I had recognized, okay, kids are antsy. They're kind of fighting with each other. Too much time at home. Too much time together. What do my children need? My kids need socialization. They need social time with friends. I'm going to make this happen. So I checked in. What do they need? I intuited their needs. I took action and scheduled something to take care of these needs. We have to do this for ourselves. So that's the parallel that I drew, which was that I knew that day I was going to spend the whole day all about the kids. And sometimes, and I think most moms can identify with this, sometimes when you spend a whole day pouring into others, when you get to that end of the day and you get whined at or a complaint, you're like, seriously, all day was about you and you're going to gripe at me? Like I sacrificed all day. So I knew that was a possibility if I didn't check in with me and say, Morgan, what do you need? to feel like you did something for you so that you won't sometime at the end of the day when they inevitably whine, because that's what kids do, because kids being kids, you know, that you won't be resentful about this. So I checked in on them, met their needs, and I checked in on me, and I met my needs too. And that's what we got to do. Yeah. And for anyone curious, she also gives great examples on her Instagram page of like, what if we talk to our kids the way we talk to ourselves? And it's so <laughs> sad because it's so true. Like my favorite part was like your kid came up to you and said, I'm hungry. And you're like, here's a crust of bread. Eat it. <laughs> but it, like it's laughable, but it should also be laughable that we talk and treat ourselves that way. Like it should not even be a thing. For me, weirdly enough, seeing that gave me the message more than even like hearing the examples of what the love can look like, like the mothering love can look like to see what 
the painful talk we give to ourselves looks like when we're giving it to our kids hurt and like woke me up in a way that nothing else had. And the sad part is it's true. Yes. I mean, the sad part is that it's not like it was silly, but it was it's so true, especially when we think of how moms care for their physical bodies. Like we sit on aches. I mean, women in general, but moms a lot. We sit on aches and pains and hurts and we just are like, I don't know, probably from carrying the baby. I don't know. It's just probably mom stuff. We chalk it up to normal life stuff when, you know, we are the ones who are highest at risk for autoimmune disease and all of these different really significant diseases. And we just we just ignore it, but we would never. If our kid came to us and said, you know, our daughter, like, I have a stomach ache. I'm like, I'll call the doctor today. Like, we act immediately, but we constantly backburner ourselves. And so I'm glad that one stuck out to you because it's such an important message that we do need to really wake up to. I instantly sent it to my mom, which obviously I'm very much grown, but instantly sent it to her and to like several of my mom friends because I'm like, you know, one of my best friends in the world, her son's going through something really hard right now and she's taking him to a ton of medical appointments. And I just feel like she needed to see that because last time I saw her, I was genuinely scared. So yeah, I think it's so, so important because it's a mirror. And I just have to be honest with you. One thing that's coming up through all of this and like something I'm preemptively scared for because I have an amazing boyfriend, like I think we'll hopefully, God willing, you know, have kids together someday. (laughs) Something I'm preemptively scared for is this resentment you're talking about. Because I can even think like having to explain this to them sucks. Like I feel like they should just get it, like get on board, like see what I'm doing, like Why can't they just also be like thinking about what the kids need and checking in with them and bringing the like, why should we have to tell them to do it? And it just sucks. And like, I can't get over the unfairness of that. So help me. Like, how does one go about this piece? (laughs) Well, it's nice that you're thinking out about it now, because I think that that puts you ahead of the game. A lot of us like get deep into it and then we're like, oh, then you got to sort of unwind everything. So thinking about it now, a couple of things. One thing you should know is that moms who have the greatest and easiest adjustment into motherhood are the ones who involve their partners right off the bat. Like when you become a mom, I know there's this mother's intuition stuff that we're led to believe that we have and some of us do in greater amounts than others. But really, we're all just learning in the beginning. And so throw your partner into the deep end too. let them learn alongside of you. Don't take on the role as the teacher and then the student, but rather be partners in that process of learning together, changing the diapers, figuring out the sleep stuff. How are you going to approach it? Be in it together as much as possible from the beginning. That will change the entire trajectory. So that is a huge one. I can't emphasize it enough. It's one that I definitely did not get right and really wish I would have. The second is that I think a lot of times resentment comes from unexpressed expectations. And here's the tricky thing is that we have expectations about what it means, lots of things, what kind of parent we're going to be. Yeah. Like we, I talk about this in the book, we learn how to be a mom from the moment we're born based on what we experience, based on what society tells us, social structures, movies, all these things. We're absorbing these messages. And so this all lives within us as almost like these templates. We also have templates for all sorts of other things, like what type of parent our partner will be. So if you think about what you experienced from 
everybody has different family configurations. But if we just did the tradi- the husband and wife, okay, you learn from the same sex parent what type of parent you're going to be. So if you learn from your mother, what kind of mother you're going to be, you learn from your father, maybe what to expect of your partner. So we have these templates that live inside of us. We also have another set of templates that's about what type of partner we expect our partner to be to us after they become a parent. (laughs) So like easy way to say it is like when I was pregnant, I expected my husband to treat me like a China doll. Like I was like, why doesn't he rub my feet every night and like take care of me like I'm this fragile, delicate, beautiful, blossoming, you know, mother to be. And it was like not at all the experience. I have a really good husband. Oh my gosh, that's clear. Like even from the way he reacted to you saying you wanted to do the book to like doing yourself love. Just because you talk about these things doesn't mean things aren't also amazing. We can, we can hold two truths at once. Two truths at once. (laughs) Yeah. But like we have these expectations for what our partners are going to be like toward us when we're parents and also as a parent themselves. And so this is what happens, which is always tends to bite parents after kids enter the picture, is that these frameworks, these templates live inside of us and we don't know about it until after kids enter the picture. It's almost like dormant seeds that require the right sunshine and water in order to blossom. And like kids do that and then they blossom and you're so far down a path at that point that you're like, why am I pissed off at you all the time? Why is this bugging? I thought you were going to be like this and you're not like this. And it causes all sorts of miscommunications, being on different pages, unnecessary hurts. And so part of what you can do beforehand is try to unearth some of these things. When you think about the ideal parent, like when you think about who you'd want, let's say you have kids with your boyfriend, when you imagine what he will be like as a father to your children, what does that look like? What does he do? What does he say? Is he gentle? Is he authoritative? Is he, you know, like unpack that stuff together, explore it together and create almost like a joint plan or agreement. And I know that doesn't sound sexy. Actually, I'm very much turned on right now. Like to me, (laughs) I always say to him, like when we work through stuff, I'm like, yes, this feels amazing. Even if it's hard. I just, I hate having looming things and I do have anxiety. So this is probably part of my anxiety, but I hate having looming things that I haven't figured out. And this idea of saying, what's your blueprint of a great father? What's my blueprint of a great father? What's my blueprint of a great mother? What's yours? And then seeing how we can bring them together and come closer together and be on the same page actually sounds amazing. And it even sounds like something amazing to do once you've had kids, because if those misconceptions and hurts are happening, being able to actually agree on what parenthood is, is probably something that will help. Yes, it's never too late to do this. So if you're already in that path, down that path, you can absolutely come back and do this. And I think like this is the cool part of being a grown up is that you get to decide how you exist in the family that you create. And so when you guys can lay that stuff out on the table and be like, this is what I had growing up. This is what I guess what I'm expecting. You can then decide what works for you two as a couple. Maybe your circumstances look different. You can decide what you want to toss, what you want to repeat, what you want to add to it. It becomes really empowering because then you can work together to kind of hash out exactly what things look like. And so... It would be, if every couple did this, I think that life after kids would look significantly different. Yeah. 
that was incredible, incredible advice. Like I'm going to need to re-listen to that several times and take notes. Because we are on a podcast that talks about creativity, I would love to talk about like, let's say, you know, I, for instance, have a friend who has become a stay-at-home mom but is interested in exploring her creativity again. Like she wants to start writing again and start making music again, but she knows that's going to take time, time that she'll need to be alone. And so how do you bring your kids in on when you're making a creative project? Because I heard something on your Instagram, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is it true that your daughter said to you while you were writing the book, I hate that you're writing a book? Yeah, she did. So take me through this because I get it and I think it's an important thing to talk through. I tell that story in the chapter on priorities because just in life in general, but especially for moms, we're regularly navigating these competing priorities where it's like we have these higher values, which almost all of us would say, you know, family and kids and these you know, these are our higher order values, but they're regularly coming in conflict with our sort of these urgent in the moment demands. And so in the story, you know, she was getting ready to go with my husband for the weekend away while I stayed home to write a chapter on priorities, actually, to write this. She gave me great material. Um, and she's she's crying and she was complaining about wanting to bring her toys. And I was like, you can take whatever toy you want. Like, please just go because I could see my time kind of dwindling away, my energy having to manage her emotion. She's like, it's, that's not it. And I was like, I can tell that's not it. What is it? And she was worried about upsetting me. And I said, I can handle whatever you got to say. I, I got it. I can handle it. And that's when she said, I hate that you're writing a book. And I just said, I get it. Like, of course you do. It's time that you miss out on like being with me and time I miss out on being with you. It's time that takes me away and I am around all the time. So I think my kids are like not accustomed to me not being around. And so we talked about it and I share in the book this question, which is how do I navigate that situation so no one gets hurt? And I later share that I felt sad about missing out, but I didn't feel guilty about my decision to write. And I think that that's where moms often feel the rub is that they feel a lot of guilt around taking this time. And part of the reason, and I go into this in the chapter, part of the reason I didn't feel the guilt is partly how I define being a good mom. But also part of it is because I recognized that I almost am always living in line with my higher order values. But just the reality of life is that there are going to be times where our in the moment urgent demands have to take priority. And this was one of those times. And it's what our family agreed on. And it was something that was really important to me. And I often am shuffling my priorities. So I'm not in the front. But that weekend I had to be. And so I sat with her, I held her, she cried, I comforted her, and I looked at her and I said, I know this is so hard. This is also something that is so important to me, and it's not going to be much longer, and it's not going to be forever, but it's something that is so important to me, and I can't wait to share it with you, and I'm going to write, you know, they love being in my book. They're, <laughs> they're famous. When you get home, I'll read you the stories I wrote about you, you know, but we talked it out and my kids knew that there was a sacrifice that's involved. And I say in the book too, you know, there's often pain in prioritizing because you can't prioritize all of the things at the same time that you want to. And so it does come with a little bit of heartache sometimes, but I had done all the other work that I was able to manage my way through it without really feeling, I don't know if I'm sounding heartless, but no, I felt sad to miss out, but I didn't feel guilty. And so I do talk moms through all of those pieces of it. 
Well, what you did is free her for the future to pursue her own dreams and to, you know, that like you can be a mom and you can be a writer or whatever else it is that's on your heart. You gave her a framework for that. And I just want to tell you, like when I was little, my mom, she never ended up doing it. I'm still hopeful she will publish children's books because she had some great ideas, but she way before internet would like go to New York and go into publishers and try to get her children's books published. And I still remember her doing that. And she'd always come with like a little back home with a toy from FAO Schwartz for me. So awesome. (laughs) But I remember just being so proud of her. And I even look back on it now. I'm like, you know what? Like my mom, like she tried to pursue her dreams and like she put herself out there. And I think it's something your daughter is going to look back on and just have so much pride and also know you're giving her a framework for what a creative parent can be. I know we talk a lot about how everyone has gifts and how it feels to use your gifts. So we'll talk like, what do you think Roy's gift is? What do you think yours is? And dads and moms. And so that was part of our conversation too. This is one of my gifts and I actually get to use it. And so it's an important part of being a full human is stepping into our gifts and sharing them with the world and in a way that helps others and lights us up too. And so, yeah, I hope that she took that message in. I'm sure she did. I heard you say balance is baloney. <laughs> I think so many of us have a dream of balance. <laughs> what do we do with that dream? And like, how does realizing it's baloney actually free us? I think we've been fed this myth that balance is achievable, and especially our generation. We are obsessed with self-improvement, which I think is great, but also we've taken it pretty far. But we're sort of like, if we just can turn the right dials and Google the right string of words and, you know, do these things, we'll finally reach this place where like everything feels manageable. Life is manageable. Our relationships are balanced. Everything's on cruise control. And that is just not how life works. Life always has a little bit of turbulence ahead. Obviously, sometimes it's more severe than others. But I talk about in that first chapter, when I say balance is baloney, is that life is regularly going to mess us up. It's regularly going to throw our relationships out of balance. It's going to pull them toward disconnection. And so we have to recognize that. And it frees us up in two ways. One, When we realize that balance isn't permanently achievable, we can stop wasting our time trying to figure it out and cut ourselves some slack and save a little energy. And then the second is, is that we will find moments of balance, but we're just going to become unbalanced again. So when we find that moment of balance and we get thrown off again, that we don't beat ourselves up for finding ourselves in that position. I've heard so many times from people, I'm good, I'm doing all of the right things and it's still not working. It's like, I know because, you know, life comes at you fast, right? Like life will mess us up and it's just part of it. It's like the good things, the beautiful, the expected, unexpected, the tragic, all these parts of life will mess up our relationships and that's just a normal part of being human. Yeah. Oh, gosh, I can't believe we're just about out of time. I could ask you, I had so many pages of questions, and I'm sure I'll only have more as I continue to deep dive your work. But if you could leave the listener with one final piece of advice, I mean, your book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself, everybody go get it. This is required (laughs) reading. But if you could leave them with one more piece of advice on how to do that, what would it be today? Okay, I'll give one framework and one specific. So I think one of the biggest things is to start practicing just checking in with yourself. 
I teach people, moms, how to do that in the book with a really specific framework. But if you can just start doing that on your own, how am I doing? What do I need? What am I feeling right now? You'll start to come back in the know with yourself. I think so many of us move through life with such fast momentum that we really lose touch with ourselves. We're sort of disassociated as we walk through life. So practice checking in on you, seeing how you're doing, and this will start to bring you into more connection with yourself. The really specific one is one of my favorite tips, which is if you have trouble defining what you need, start with thinking about what you complain about the most. I think our complaints are windows into unmet needs, whether it's something we can meet ourselves or something in our relationships. If I have an angry conversation, it's usually in the shower. If you do something like that or if you like mutter around your house, things under your breath, take a moment and think about what is it that I'm actually saying right now and how does that translate into a need that really needs to get addressed. Mm. Morgan, you have so much wisdom. I highly recommend everybody who's a parent and even everybody who's not a parent, just get to her page, (laughs) get her book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. So many great tips on just how to find self-love, self-trust, and self-knowledge, which is the goal of this show because I think it's impossible to unleash if we don't have a grip on or at least aren't working toward those things. So thank you for being you. Thank you for using your voice in the world and thank you for leading the way by doing. So appreciate you. Thank you for having me and asking such insightful questions. I really enjoyed chatting with you. Thanks for listening and thanks to my guest, Morgan Cutlip. For more info on Morgan, follow her at Dr. Morgan Cutlip and visit her website, drmorgancutlip.com to get a copy of her book, Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. You can also get her book wherever good books are found. Thanks to Rachel Fulton for helping edit and associate produce this episode. Follow her at Rachel M. Fulton. Thanks to Liz Full for the show's theme music. Follow her at Liz Full. And again, thank you. If you like what you heard today, remember to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Share the show with a friend and post about it on social media. Tag me at Lauren LaGrasso and at Unleash Your Inner Creative, and I will repost to share my gratitude. Also tag the guests at Dr. Morgan Cutlip so she can share as well. My wish for you this week is that you talk to yourself and love yourself the way you would your child or future child or inner child. I love you and I believe in you. Talk with you next week.